Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Good day, gladiators. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Sword and Shield podcast. It's Francis Martinez, Director of Psychological Health for the 960th Cyberspace Wing, here with a guest. Uh, retired Chief Master Sergeant Todd Simmons. Welcome, Chief. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, good, good morning. Hey, hey, I really appreciate the invite and um, definitely happy to be out here and share some time with you and the team. Absolutely. I'm really excited um, to, to have you a part of uh, this podcast. And, you know, um, we're always talking about resiliency. I um, heard your story at the Department of the Air Force uh, Resiliency um, Workshop, and I really wanted your story to be shared across our wing. Um, when we talk about, you know, mental health, suicide, resiliency, you know, you, you um, encompass all of that and how you overcame all of your challenges and I want people to know that you know you can always come out of the other side and it doesn't always have a negative impact and, and that's again that's the, the stigma within the military that's you know what we're trying to demystify right now. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and I appreciate you guys' efforts in this because it's about communication, right? It's about breaking down those artificial barriers that we have to thinking that there is not help, there's not people out there who are willing to lend a hand. So, I, man, I am excited to be here today and, and definitely um, excited to be part of keeping the conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? I, I know that we just talked a little bit and then you said you're very happy being retired. So if you want to talk a little <laughs> bit about about your military career and then like what you're doing today. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I joined the Air Force in 1994. So came in as a security forces defender, spent 20 years as a defender, and, and, and I'm an honest person, just like a lot of our airmen, a lot of our civilians, a lot of our officers out there. You know, you come in, you're young, you're not sure what you want to do. And honestly, being a defender wasn't it. And uh, But I, w I became a security force defender, and I absolutely fell in love with the career field. And I spent 20 years as a cop, and then I became the command chief at, uh, at Edwardson, ultimately command chief at Air University, um, at, up at Maxwell, where I retired uh, 25, years, 25 and a half years in service. Uh, happily retired, uh, married with two kids, met my, met my wife as an A1C, and we got married 120 days later, and two, two, two beautiful daughters at 2419, and retired, and I live in the D.C. area where um, I started my own leadership development company where we do everything from resiliency training to leadership training to certifications, and, if it, and, and it's just, just, just rediscovering uh, myself after you know, 25, and a, uh, 25 years in the military, you know, starting as an 18-year-old kid. So this last 18 months has been a journey of self-discovery, uh, a lot of golfing, uh, top <laughs> golf membership that I go to every other day, a lot of just, you know, those friendships that, you know, you thought you didn't have time for and, and things you didn't have time for, just being honored, blessed to have the opportunity to still um, – be in a position to now um, give back to my community and, and just give back to my family and friends and, 
be Todd Simmons, more importantly. Discover who Todd Simmons is uh, instead of Chief, which was my first name for about seven years. So, honest, happy to be here. <laughs> well, you know, it's always difficult. Um, I know my, my husband just retired in February after 20 years of service in the Air Force. And so it, it's always difficult, that transition phase, right? And I know you're 18 months post-retirement, um, but, I mean, how did you, you know, start that self-discovery, and what did that look like for you? Man, it just, it looked, I, I will tell you, it looked, it looked very beautiful and very ugly at the same time. And I'm just very honest, right? Because, you uh-huh. know, you know, coming, coming in as an 18 year old kid and, and I know we'll get into it and facing a lot of the challenges I had, you know, early in my career and middle in my career toward the end of my career and overcoming a lot of those things, you know, it was, you know, I, I I kind of, you know, stepped away from the Air Force and like, you know, I, I had a plan. I think I had a pretty solid plan and most of us do, but I, but you cannot plan for um, not being who you were for 25 years and what that's going to feel like because you've never done mm-hmm. it. So, so I will tell you, it was about three or four months of some very tough self-discovery of, you know, who am I, what am I, you know, what am I really not going to do like for jobs or, you know, for finances or anything. But, you know, what am I going to do to make myself feel fulfilled and to feel like I have a purpose every day? What am I, you know, and I took I took a couple of months. And, and um, okay. I will tell you, um, friend, the, the same networks um, and the same methods that got me through some of my, my earliest challenges in the military, overcoming, you know, all kinds of stuff is what I reverted back to trying to, for the self-discovery journey. I, I, I reverted back to the friends, the trusted relationships old commanders, old first sergeants, people who now are, are were retired and just really went and hung out and became who I was, grew my beard and, and you know, just hung out in the backyard <laughs> and let life just come at me and not just try to run toward it. And I tell you, you know, it's just, it just was a great thing to try to do and take some time for yourself. And I joked about the Topgolf membership, but it was one of the greatest things I did. I went and got a Top Golf membership next to my house, and I spent about five or six hours at Top Golf, about three, oh, three, wow. four days a week. And I just hung out and hit golf balls and and just invited friends over who could come over. So it just was about giving. And I and I say these two words, and I end with the uh, giving yourself the grace and the space to be to to just to discover who you are and that's what i that's what the success that i had is i gave myself the grace to be like i'm not going to have the answers i'm not going to figure this out figure this out and i gave myself uh, uh in, in, in the time frame that i want to and i gave myself the space to allow it to happen just mature mm-hmm. naturally well that's one of my goals is to learn how to golf so if i'm ever in the <laughs> dc area we'll have to get together and then you can take me to top golf and show me a, a little bit about about golfing there <laughs> Absolutely, it is. It is. It is. It is so rewarding if you're an outside person, but it's definitely an expensive sport to be in. <laughs> oh, I, I hear that. I hear that. And so I know you had some very difficult challenges in the beginning, um, and one of your stories that really, you know, touched my heart was the phone booth story, and so. You know, I know sometimes reliving these things is very difficult for some people, and I appreciate your your willingness to share to share the story. But I'm going to turn it over to you, and you know, 
talk a little bit about that. I uh, know I appreciate it, and 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 I, and and you're correct. I mean, I will tell you, not you know, I, I don't consider myself a hero or the word brave or anything. And I will tell you, I started telling this story about four years ago, four or five years ago, out of essentially some shame I had for myself that you know I was a senior enlisted leader. And I had some a young airmen struggling, and and she she attempted to take her own life. And I just wondered, you know, our stories are powerful, and our stories are powerful, okay. and sometimes they can help other people. So, for me, the story you're referring to was, you know, about 120 days after I I got to my first base in 1995, which was Air University, by the way, the same base I retired out of as the as the command chief. So, oh, wow. so I got to my first base at Air University, a brand new airman basic. And the first 120 days, uh, I got there, and I loved the Air Force. I was a bushy, you know, the, you know, not to, to make the story long, but you know, I I was a very motivated airman. I showed up to my base, and I loved everything about the opportunity to be an airman in the United States Air Force. And within 120 days, um, I found myself in a place that that I never ever. I, I just I found myself in a place that I could not imagine. And I went from a, a bright-eyed airman to 120 days to about two consecutive days um, sitting on a security forces post with a rifle, with a rifle in my mouth. And the first day, trying to rehearse how I was going to take my life. And the second day, I rehearsed how I was going to take my life with a round in the chamber, with the with the with the weapon on fire, with my finger on the trigger, and actually don't know how, and, and trying to um, really figure out how I was going to do this. And I remember that day because I jumped out of the vehicle that day and I ended up walking around an Air Force Reserve C-130 and I was crying and I was just did not know what to do. And and in the next day, um, I ended up, you know, and back then we didn't have any cell phones. So the next day I was in my dorm room and I decided to go downstairs and call my, the one person I, you know, at the time I trusted and had a relationship with, which was my mom. And I called and I told her, I'm going to take my life. If you don't come get me, I got to get out of here. You know, I was having some bad issues in my squadron. I felt trapped. I felt like I had no one to turn to. And I told her I was going to take my life. And my mom, you know, man, you know, I, did, I, I put her through a lot. And she just, she didn't know what to do. My mom never left three states. She didn't even know how to come get me or anything. So I'm crying. I'm tearing this phone booth up. And I ended up tearing all the glass out of this phone booth. And I still have cuts where I've covered, you know, some with tattoo with a tattoo, but I have, uh, you know, I, I throw the glass out of his phone booth because I was so distraught. I couldn't pull the phone booth open where the simple pull to get out. I was pushing the door. So I broke the glass. I cut my arms up trying to get out. I, I just, just, just totally, you know, just was in another state. And I will tell you that, you know, in that moment, my first sergeant was doing a dorm walkthrough and my first uh-huh. sergeant, pulled me out of the phone booth, essentially, and said, how can I help you? Important words that I use to this day, and I repeat those words over and over and over and over again in any leadership job I've ever had. How can I help? He didn't yell. He didn't scream. He didn't cuss. He didn't go for the disciplinary rap. He said, how can I help? And, you know, in that story, just to, you know, in that story, you know, it was, it was about that moment. But it was about the care that and, and the and the grace and the space that that first sergeant gave me and my leadership gave me. And I ended up, you know, going to the chaplain. I ended up becoming and a chaplain at that point became something that for the next 20 years of my career um, became somewhere where I found probably 90 percent of, of my 
of, of, of where I got my help. But he got me back on track and he gave me the opportunity. But, you know, that story resonates, you know, to me because that's just a fraction of the story, you know, for time. But, you know, wh where I go back to that phone booth story is that there are people out there who have, who are just looking for someone to say, how can I help? And to do okay. it with sincere, sin sincere, heartfelt, genuine outreach. And I think we all have that. I think we all want to help, but it starts, you know, not when someone is in the phone booth at that final moment. It starts every day with compassion. It starts every day with empathy. It starts every day with just saying, how are you doing? How can I help? So, you know, that story to me, you know, I, I can I can tell that story in about 50 different ways. And I know for the, for the sake of time, we can't have the, the two hour version. But uh, mm -hmm. but I tell you, it's, it's, it's definitely something that um, that I think about every day, every day. And that phone booth is something that's not there anymore. But as I came back 21 years later to Air University to be the command chief, I drove past the spot every day to work where I tried to take my life every day. Mm -hmm. And I will and, tell you, that was such a that, powerful moment. Yeah. Yeah. What did that bring up for you, being able to kind of, you know, face that where you were, you know, 21 years before and and kind of, you know, have those very distinct memories of of that event? Oh, it brought up a lot of emotion the first day. I mean, the first day from my house, I could see where I tried to take my life. So you walk out of the command chief's house at the front door. I literally could see where I stood. I, I, I was in a Ford Taurus, essentially uh, trying to take my life. But every day I drove past, it, it gave me strength. And it gave me strength to, 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 to perseverance through how difficult it was for me to stand up, not only to talk about taking my life, but to also stand up about not being able to read at the age of 17, 18, not reading my first book till I was 20, coming in with extreme education deficit. It gave me strength to know that my story is powerful, that this 18-year-old kid that came in the Air Force on an ASVAB waiver, came to his first base, which is the largest university system in the world, tried to take his life, is standing here as the senior enlisted leader for the largest university in the world and as a college professor for the last 15 years. So going past that, that, that spot every day gave me strength to tell people that where you started is not where you have to be. What, what, okay. what, you feel, what you feel today is not what you have to feel tomorrow. What, right. what, 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 what plagues you today can be solved. It can be resolved. And, and that's, what, that's what it brought up to me every day. And I think that's very powerful, right? Because when you're in that moment, everything feels like it's overwhelming. It's going to be better, you know, without really realizing all of the ripple effects of, you know, what could have possibly happened. And, and, and it's important to, you know, talk about all of these things that no matter how monumentous your problem feels, there's always a solution. And suicide yeah. is not that solution. No, I, no I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I will tell you that 19 year old, that 19 year old Todd Simmons, the strength of how can I help and, and the strength of learning those skills and the strength of people surrounding me with the compassion and empathy, it actually saved my life two more times. Because, you know, I've, 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 I tell people at the end of the day, in the metrics that we measure in the United States Air Force, 
And that's just, that's not my metrics. That's the United States Air Force's metrics. I was successful. I had a successful career. I was a chief. I was a NAF command chief. I served 25 years. I had the blessing, the opportunity to work chief for seven years. And, and that's great. I had a great career. But what people don't see behind the curtain is, you know, as a tech surgeon, I was severely depressed and I had anxiety and I was in mental health. As a senior master surgeon, I did think about committing suicide. I lost a troop. I went through survivor's grief. I thought, I thought about, I thought about so many dark days, but I had skills to get me past those things now. I had skills when I was a tech surgeon, when I was feeling anxiety and an depression to go, I need some help. I need to go talk to someone. I had the skills when I was a senior master surgeon to open up to my commander and say, hey, sir, I'm not good right now. I need to take a knee. I had the skills when I was a chief, command chief at the NAF level working for a three-star general to walk into the medical group with command chief strikes on and my picture literally behind the desk of the Airman First Class and request to talk to the BHOP. I had the strength to go say that mental health is just a part of my health. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and 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 that's where I say, you know, it's not, you know, you can gain so much strength when you're feeling down. And I tell people it's not about you should never, you know, we all we all we all try not to drive our cars with the gas light on. Right. We do it sometimes. And then we get this panicky like feeling when the gas light comes on. And I tell people, do not wait till the gas light comes on in your life. You should actually at. You should have three quarters. You should have you should, your your tank should be seventy five percent filled, and then you still should be like, why is my tank not filled? I need to go fill my tank up, and that's the way I look at what I always dealt with mental health post nineteen ninety five. If I was walking around feeling like I was seventy five percent, I was in a chaplain's office. When I felt like I was fifty percent as a tech sergeant, I needed mental health help. I needed a little more than what the chaplain could give me. When I was mm-hmm. a senior master sergeant. And I wanted to take, and I was having these thoughts and feelings again. My tank was not, but I never allowed my gas light to come on again. That was the most important lesson that I took in through my life. And that's the most important lesson that I, I share with people. Do not allow the problems of, of the world, which are just natural. We all are humans, but don't allow it to get so heavy until your gas light comes on. Go get help when you really don't even feel like you do need it. And I think the other important thing is to to know that you post your, you know, mental health treatment, you still had a fabulous career as far as, you know, you've retired as a chief. And I think people just have that uh, presumption or assumption that whenever, oh, I'm going to go seek mental health and then there goes my career. I, I can no longer do what I'm, I want to do. And that's the whole fear, right? And even uh, General Hawk talked a little bit about this, about, you know, back in the day, people would say, you know, don't go to mental health or you're going to lose you know, your security clearance. And that's just not true anymore. That's that's not true. And that's, and that's a dark point. I would say that's a dark part of our history that that, that, that that would even be a part of our history. But I will tell you, I've had a TRS clearance for well over 10, 12, 13, 14 years. I don't even know. I've been to mental health. I've had positions of trust. I've had senior enlisted. I was the senior enlisted leader for every defender in absent for a whole year. That's 11 countries, thousands of cops all over the place. That's a position of trust. But you know what? Uh-huh. A year be- a year before that, 
I had mental health treatment. Nobody has ever, you know, because I think I've always approached it like this is a part of my health regimen. So I never kept it a, I never kept it a secret, but I never also um, made it where people were going to allow it to be something of shame. So, you know, whatever position I was in or, you know, as an NCO, senior NCO, command chief, whatever, I talked about it openly with whoever was around me. I talked about it with my subordinates. I made it a part of me going to a dental appointment. You know, I was the person who would, like I said, I, I would go in the med group in my uniform and I would, I would be proud to have an airman first class check me into my appointment. And I wasn't whispering about it. Hey, what can we mm-hmm. help you? So I'm, I'm here for my BHOP appointment. I'm here for my mental health appointment. The same and way it, I would walk across the medical group and say, I'm here for my dental appointment. And it's funny that you say that because Major General Thomas Stolheim talks about when he was seeking mental health treatment, you know, they offered come to the back door, you know, we'll, we won't put it on your calendar. And he's like, no, I want people to see me getting treatment and know that it's okay. Absolutely. I think that's, and, and I think, you know, definitely is not a, you know, leaders, everyone has their own journey. And I say, I'm no hero for talking about this. Everybody has their time, their place, their reasons. But I do think that one of the solutions you know, it's not going to be a program. It's not going to be anything. So it's what you're doing right now, a grassroots conversation at the technical level. We're going to have a conversation in our wing. We're going to normalize this. We're just going to talk about it. And in regards to what the subject matter is, we're going to get out the tough, tough conversations because tough conversations become normalized and, and normalized conversations become a part of a culture. And, um, mm-hmm. and, I think, and I think that's what we have to be as a society with mental health and especially as a DOD and especially as an Air Force family and community, is we have to normalize the conversation that I will tell you right now, because I've talked, you know, you have no idea the hundreds of people, very successful, have great careers in the Air Force, who have IM me, I've talked to in private, and I who have who I've seen come out in public and because that's what they chose to do to talk about their own journey. That this is this is who we are. This is there's nothing. There's nothing off. There's nothing broken. There's nothing wrong with you. This is this is being a human being on earth. That we will go through things. We will need just like we will need to get our tooth cavity filled. We will need to get our leg mended. We will need to go get things done. Um, this is just another part of 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 self care. This is another part of health care. This is another part of just living. So that's where we need to get it for just as just a normalized day that I'm going to I'm going to go fill my tank with this part of my life. Absolutely, Keith. And you know, you talked about how you came a long way from not being able to read and write, and then now you have your own book out, right? Why not me? Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I wrote the book, Why Not Me? And it's it, we pre-released it last week. Is that you know, you can go to mascot.com, it's mascot publishing, and they have it the pre-release out. But I will tell you, I wrote that book to, to, to I'll talk about continuing the conversation, right? We're going to be on here for 20, 25 minutes of a podcast. And I'm always wanting to go, you always continue the conversation. You always continue the conversation. And I wrote that book to let folks know who I've talked to, who are in the thousands over the last four or five years of me really trying to talk about resiliency, talk about mental health, talk about suicide, talk about anxiety, talk about depression, to let people know that everyone doesn't start in the same place, first and foremost. 
and that there are challenges of our teammates that we cannot begin to understand because they have not they have not felt safe enough to share those things. And when we get into a space where we can show enough empathy to people to look through the eyes of another person and and listen with the ears of another person, we can get to a point where people are understanding each other. Someone gave a, a, a young 18-year-old kid a shot and wasn't supposed to get a shot. I wasn't supposed to join the Air Force. I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the I didn't have the, the, the academics. I didn't have any of that. And a young staff sergeant recruiter took an opportunity, a chance on me. And I knew that day and I know today that I never wanted to let him down because he literally took a chance on a kid that really did not meet with the Air Force called Air Force material. And um and and I and I never let him down. So I wrote that book to let people know that your stories are powerful. Your stories are what what sows the fabric of a true relationship. Your stories are what connects people. And it's just hopefully, some, you know, that's what folks can get out of it is that, hey, my story hopefully can help someone. And if it helps somebody, it, that person can gravitate to help someone else. So that's, that's, that was the whole point of the book. Absolutely. And Chief, I, I can't even imagine how many people have done the same thing that you've done, severely, co- you know, contemplated suicide to the to the point of just, you know, right before pulling the trigger. And so I want to, you know, always provide this information. So, you know, anyone out there listening, if you or someone you know are contemplating suicide, contact the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Chief, again, thank you so much for joining us today um, and sharing your story. I know it's, it's always difficult reliving and, and retelling the stories, but I really appreciate you joining us today. No, thank you, and thank you to the team and anybody who wants to reach out. I, I keep to keep the conversation going. Like I said, you, you can you can always find me at Todd.Simmons at CourageousLead.com. Todd.Simmons at CourageousLead.com. I'm willing to always continue the conversation for those who want to continue it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for um, what you're doing and what the team is doing. And, and, I, and I appreciate you. Absolutely. And congratulations on your retirement, your golf career now. <laughs> <laughs> and most of all, congratulations on your book. And I, I look forward to, to reading it. All right. Thank you. Gladiators out. <laughs>